I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast, but not your author of the Thoughts on Money blog today. It's none other than one of our other authors, Mr. James Andrews. Trevor, thank you for having me. It is nice to be considered a co-author on the website. I saw that. I was going to say guest author, but you're not. I'm uh, a co-author. You are a co-author. You have promoted me. In the, in the regular rotation with Blaine Carver. Mm-hmm. I can now consider myself a published author, and I use that as much as I can. There you go. We're going to start out talking about pizza, or what my South African friends like to call pizza. And uh, I think it's one of your favorite foods. It is probably a top two food for me if okay not wait the number one i thought it was be number one so what is number one then or mm. what's what's battling for number one sushi sushi's okay. up there pretty highly as well and um, have you had sushi pizza no <laughs> i don't know if that exists I but i did that, watch a netflix documentary sounded... where it was going through what they were calling some of the best pizza chefs across the world yeah and i think one of them was in japan and i think he added some very japanese style ingredients oh, to the pizza so cool. So you might need to watch that because it might be game-changing for you. If it could blend both worlds, I would be so happy. I'm a huge, huge sucker for carbs. Everything about the bread, the sauce, the meat, its it, it just hits all the chords. <laughs> I was asking you pre-podcast, uh, and we will make everybody on this podcast listen through this, even though it's probably not applicable to them. But where is the best pizza in Orange County? For me, the best pizza starts with Folk's Pizza in Costa Mesa. They use a sourdough base for the bread. You can't get that kind of pizza really anywhere else that I'm aware of locally. Um, the second one is I'm going to do that now, just so you know that. You're going to go to Folk? You, or you're going to create a I'm going to go there, but I, I like love making pizza at home. Oh, and you I've, should. I've thought about doing that. I just literally need to add the starter to my dough, so yeah. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, please do. Check out the place, because they bring sourdough loves for you to start with. They have these meatballs. It's phenomenal. It's a huge weight every time. So that's a, a newer spot that's pretty hot for the local scene. The next one is a Sergeant Pepperonis. Again, I think that's Irvine, Borderline, Newport. I feel like that's a chain. Or I, no, it's not. It's not a chain. Uh, they've been around for a long time. Um, so that's that's like a known staple. So if you mention that to anyone here in Orange County, they're going to know what, what you get there. And have you spent much time on the East Coast and tried those pizzas? Or? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I feel like... it. It could be world changing for you because I feel like when I go to New York, I love pizza like you. It's in my top five or whatever. And when I go there, it's just like I want to have it every meal. Oh, I do. I, I, we, my wife and I, have been dying to go for a New York trip with no kids. And I've been to New York for work trips, and so it's not the same. I want to go and just eat my way through the city, especially pizza. I just, it's where it's birthed, right? So it's where I'd want to go to see the mecca of pizza for for where we are in the states. And because we've gone too long into this podcast, I will reel you back in. Why in the world did you start talking about pizza in the article? So the pizza is a really good moment in time to look at kind of all the creations that pizza exists, right? So it's a, it's a globally loved food staple. It touches really every family, every person. And so as one normally does, they overinvent the pizzas. And so I went on a, a little rabbit hole that looked into all the different kinds of pizzas that exist in the world. On one hand, you have this pizza with basically hot dogs on the end of it, a pizza hut. And then you have a more Orange County uh, version, which is like a cauliflower crust, lemon vinaigrette. But what I realized is that the best pizzas value quality over quantity and have a strong emphasis on simplicity. 
Simplicity is a really helpful framework when you think about wealth management because there's a whole lot of distractions, a whole lot of noise, and a lot of ways that you can get sidetracked by the new shiny objects that sometimes it's helpful to sit back, kind of recalibrate, simplify what you're trying to achieve and think, what it, what would stand the test of time? What, what foundations do I need for my wealth? And so that, that brought the correlation to pizza. I don't know if these are the words you used, but... I feel like when I was reading the article, when you talked about pizza, there was something about, or at least this is the feeling I got, was that when we look at great pizza, it usually means that they've tinkered and tinkered and tinkered, and they have a great process and quality ingredients. Are those your words? Is that Was it process and ingredients? Yeah, I think it was quality and simplicity, but it okay. was similar, right? So I also watched that Netflix special on pizza, Yes, as one does. But not all the episodes, because you have not seen the I one. No, okay, I got go maybe back. halfway through. Yeah. And, but that was very apparent to me, right? The people who really created something noteworthy, obsessed over the quality and the process and refined it. So they didn't add to the process, they refined the process and got to simple, simple steps and just maximized what they could out of those simple steps. So the the correlation with how I think about pizza and simplicity, there's a mental model, as I talk about often, or a way to think about the world. It's called Occam's Razor. It's uh, named after William of Ockham, who's a philosopher and theologian. William of Ockham. I know, it's so English, <laughs> of the 14th century. And he had this framework that is used by scientists, um, folks in the medical field. And the theory is this. It's that the simplest, the solution that requires the least amount of assumptions, or in other words, the simplest solution, is usually preferred over an alternative. The meaning is this. That if you're looking at two outcomes, so for example, you want to build a portfolio or you want to build a pizza, the ones that have the longest tradition standing the test of time have a greater sense of foundation are the simpler ones that have a stronger process and refinement in how they're built over ones that go over over the top in the complexity. Does that, I know I ramble, does that kind of make sense? I think it makes sense. I don't know why I was thinking this, but my one of my buddies, and he could have been taking this from somebody else, but he always used to say... Uh, if it if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. You know what I mean? So, like <laughs> yeah. when you talk about something to the test of time, it's funny. And I will, I promise you, I will not keep us on pizza too much. But when I watched a documentary, I bought the Bianco cookbook, and I use it so much. And it it speaks to that simplicity that you're talking about. Because even in the book, he's like, you try to put too many toppings on a pizza. It's going to get soggy. You're not going to be able to like move it around in the oven. And it's like all these things reminding like, hey, I know you want to grab everything in the kitchen sink or everything in the refrigerator, but slow down a little bit. And I feel like it's so relative to portfolios, right? You review a portfolio that somebody built on their own or another advisor and your head's spinning a little bit. You're like, oh man, there's like all these parts and there's a lot of redundancy. Not to say redundancy is bad, but- when a new, like you look at investment, you're like, Hey, you added this to the portfolio. I see in like transaction history, but it's like, it's like 90% of what you already owned in this fund. And like, walk me through it. And then if it's a a self-directed person, sometimes not always, it's like, I know I saw this person talking on TV. It was captivating. So I just wanted to add it to my portfolio. And then we go back to our pizza analogy it's like, you know, the pizza's already made and it's perfect. And you start adding this, 
awkward or or or, or unfitting ingredient, and you're yeah. like, oh, it, like actually ruin the entire pizza. Yeah. So that is what I always see. I've never used the pizza analogy, but I always tell people portfolios remind me of garages, right? Like you go in the garage. And everything you grab, there's a story of how it got there, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's not very organized. It's it's the it's the place where everything kind of gets tossed, and then sometimes you find things in the garage where somebody's like, "Oh, if you give me the opportunity, I'd give that to you know the the goodwill right now." I just haven't got around to it, so it just collects all these oh, like old that. things, but they all have a story. You know yeah. what I mean? And somebody will even laugh. They're like, "Oh yeah, like." Five years ago, like at a dinner party, I met a guy and he mentioned this stock. So I bought it and then it went down. So I'm just kind of waiting for it to recover. So everything in the garage has this little narrative behind it, even though it might not really belong there anymore. I really like that. I'd never thought about it from the garage perspective, but it's so true because if I think about my garage, it is a huge mess. It's got kids' toys. It's got old food. It has tools, has all these things. And then once every you know, while I will go through and kind of purge out the stuff, but it's an easy place to throw things that I, that I want to collect at whatever time, because the space feels large. Like I have the room for it. Therefore, why not? And in a lot of ways, the portfolio is similar. You can sell a little bit of this, you know, you just need a few thousand for this new piece you found or this new option that was, you know, brought to your attention by a friend and you kind of collect all these things and it's, it's always interesting when we're meeting with new clients or prospective clients more often than not. And you ask for the statement to see the holdings. And as an advisor, you're trying to orient yourself to look at the portfolio and say, okay, what, what is this individual trying to accomplish? Kind of what are the tax situations? Looking at the portfolio is a really good way to just kind of get a sense of the person and their investing style. And it's hard to do that when they kind of pick up things over the years. Like, okay, well, that piece is for taxes, but this piece is for performance. And those two sometimes are at odds with each other. And it's just this mixed match of how things work and understanding that maybe the process of good portfolio management isn't picking up pieces over time, but refining the pieces you have over time and narrowing down a focus as opposed to just collecting more for the sake of let's just see what happens. Yeah, I forget whose quote it is. I think it, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I, I mentioned it in the little email blurb I put out, but it, it's talking about like almost these two sides of simplicity. Like you don't want to be simple-minded, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he says in the quote, and I'll paraphrase, like for, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give a fig, right? But for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, I'd give my life for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's something to be said there. Like I used to work in the fitness industry and fitness industry, exactly the same as finance, right? Like in, in this sense, there's always a new workout, a new mm-hmm. class, a new routine, a new way of looking at things, right? But not always, but typically the goals are the same. People want to lose weight. And I remember somebody I know you know, quite well and was was very intelligent when it came to the science of fitness. And he used to say, eat less, move more. You know what I mean? It's like, it's that it's, you know, all the reading he's done is everything. Like it it does boil down to that. If the goal is weight loss, right? That caloric deficit or however you want to describe it. So it's just funny to see somebody that has uh, a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, and they, they craft these little one liners and you're like, Oh, that's, simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. He's gone through the noise to the other side. And so I don't, when I talk to people about simplicity and wanting to have a a laser focus on the objective, 
I will rarely get any objections. Like I think it's widely assumed and acknowledged to be true. Things should be simpler, not more complex. We should have a refinement of the process. So I don't know if there's really anything we've said that people would disagree with. So then I have to ask myself, myself, well, why? Like, why is it if we were all generally in agreement that simplicity is good in a lot of areas of life that we find portfolios that are anything but simple? And I think one thing that we already talked about is for portfolios, especially there's kind of a collection of knickknacks throughout the years that kind of just come into the uh, aggregate mush that is the holdings. But what I found on the other side of it too, is there is this strong, strong pull to be seen as sophisticated. And uh, if you read the article, I put it in italicies, like it's sophistication. It has this allure of complexity. Sounds like a cologne. Well, (laughs) it does, like sophistication by the Bonson Group. And so I find myself in this too, where as an advisor, I want to provide value. I want to be creative for clients. And so I want to do things that maybe are more complex and more sophisticated at an attempt to solve a problem that maybe is hard to solve, or maybe it's not hard to solve. And so... I, I took a, a little query through chat GPT because I wanted to understand why do people want sophistication? Like why are they drawn to this? So GBT had a, a few different reasons. I just pulled the top three that seemed most relevant. The first one is social status and success. The second one is perceived competence. And then the third is media and advertising. In other words, we see people valuing and putting sophistication on this pedestal. And they want to then also be on that pedestal. And so there's this draw to overcomplicate, not for the sake of solving a problem, but for the sake of public appearance or perception of what that looks like. Does that kind of make sense? It does. And it makes me think of, it's almost like Warren Buffett overcompensates in the other direction. Yeah. Right? Like he, he's obviously intelligent. So we, we don't even have to argue about that, but he likes to, I don't know if it's intentional, but he interviews, he's on TV, come off as like folky and like your uncle and like real simple. Um, and it's an interesting, it's it's very contrarian to what you're talking about. You're talking about a facade, like where people like to to look a certain way, but the, the underlying intelligence behind that strategy doesn't really exist, right? Um, where he's the opposite, right? Like there is real meat on the bone. There's real intelligence there, but mm-hmm. he likes to come off um, intentionally or unintentionally as real like... Just he's approachable and he's humble and it just really draws people in. I think also David Bonson does a really good job of that. So he's incredibly smart. He's well-read. And a lot of folks, including myself, why we're drawn so strongly to him is he explains really complex, confusing things so simply where you read his post, you see him on the news and you think, oh, well, that makes sense. And but it's this incredibly complex thing, which is the economy or this or that. And so there's such a refreshing like feeling when you see someone on the other side of complexity. So I remember seeing this with advisors at my prior. I'm going to pause you right there just one second, because I want to ask you a question on that. So I understand what you just said, and I agree with a lot of it, right? But one thing David doesn't do, um, he won't dumb down the language. So he's still going to use the vocabulary of finance, which is going to exclude a lot of people, right? Because if you have to slow down and explain every financial term, uh, it's it's not going to work. So from a client's perspective or from somebody trying to learn this stuff, if they don't have that vocabulary, 
what do you suggest? Should they print the Dividend Cafe and then sit there with Investopedia and kind of like cross-check? Or how does somebody grow their acumen? What would be your suggestion in, in, in that realm? Yeah, that's helpful because um, I've actually found myself do that on some of the emails he sends to the advisors where he's quoting someone. And I have to sit and think, okay, what did David just say? <laughs> I don't yeah. understand it. Um, there's a few things you can do. So if you don't understand the verbs or the acumen, definitions are helpful. Um, I think that can get you sidetracked pretty quickly. I would look for themes. Like, okay, there's this section. What is David talking about here for this section? Okay, that makes sense. And then here's this section over here. So I would start at a higher level and just try to understand the themes and the major points that he's trying to address. And then if you want to dig deeper and really understand the finer details, yeah, the dictionary is helpful. Speaking with an advisor obviously is helpful. Um, but I would start out with just trying to piece together themes and seeing if it makes sense. And then if the curiosity is still there, then go to the next level. Because I think if you start with definitions or if you get too much into the weeds, you're going to be distracted by the trees and not see the forest, if that makes sense. I like the way you describe that. And I'll use a different word than you said. You said themes, but the one thing that... I admire David for his convictions, mm. right? So, so those convictions or, you know, from his father's work, his, he will go into the presuppositions, right? You're, what are you presupposing when you believe this about economics or whatnot? And I think those tools can be really, really helpful for readers that you could learn one topic or subject uh, in finance and that concept, that conviction can be relative to a lot of other obstacles or problems that could come your way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, so I think about like, how, how do I get this? How do I get through the fog of sophistication to the other side of simplicity? So a lot of examples come to mind. I'll just name a few to see if that resonates with some of the readers and the listeners. So early in my career, I worked at a more sophisticated bank where they had all sorts of products and they were trying to find ways to apply these. When products. you say more sophisticated, are you using that as a positive word or a negative word? It's just what they would call it. Okay. So <laughs> what they were, some of these, what they were called like covered call option, callers, structured notes, like things that when you open. Things that came with large disclaimers. Large disclaimers. You didn't understand half of the definitions. It says you're going to make money, but you don't really know how. <laughs> so you're like, this is weird. So there were a lot of those. And none of those are inherently wrong, but they usually have a very siloed application case. And so advisors would get pulled into the a temptation to overapply those for the sake of looking sophisticated and doing things that may or may not be relevant for the client. It's example one. In that world, when you worked there, was there also a need to tug on the string of, of incentives were there, were there financial incentives for people mm. to do that versus something else? Where we sat in the in the organization, there was not. Okay. So it was straight advisory fee. Yeah. For other seats in the organization, there's commissions and things. So for, from where we sat, there wasn't. Not to say there aren't for other people. Yeah. Um, it, it just it depended. But there was a desire to be, hey, I'm a part of this really magnanimous name. I don't need to prove that I worthwhile to be here. So yes. that's kind of example one in terms of specific investment products or things that people put into a portfolio may or may not be applicable or necessary. The other one I get a lot from current clients and prospective clients is there's there's always this desire, I shouldn't say always, there's often a desire to minimize taxes to the extent that they can, right? Really steward their wealth wisely. And so people like to say, okay, well, I have this liquidity event coming or I have this thing happening in a few years. How should I position myself to lower my tax bill? And so what they have in their mind is 
this goal of lowering taxes. And then there's all sorts of complicated, sophisticated ways to do that. When we talk about this all the time, which is, do we have to do these? Like, if you look at the financial plan, which, which is the actual guiding North Star of what the client wants to accomplish in their life, are we overcomplicating this entire situation for something that's really marginal on the side and the fringes as opposed to core to the plan? So it's it's misallocating the time to the things that are distracting versus the things that are really meaningful and what the person wants to accomplish. It's funny, a friend of mine, he runs a business and he used to draw out, I, I wish I remember the titles, but he drew out like this triangle. Somebody listening is going to know what I'm talking about, but, and he wrote down these three words on the end of the triangle. And he basically said, with this business, I can do two of these things, but I can't do all three mm-hmm. of these things. And that's where he had to make a decision. Which ones did he prioritize? Because in the article, you're talking about trade-offs, right? Yeah. And we're in a world where everyone's talking about artificial intelligence and there's actually funny things that computers that haven't been molded and crafted and taught yet can do, right? So if you plugged into a computer like a a simple thing and said, hey, um, minimize taxes, that is at at odds with creating returns, Mm -hmm. right? So I know a really good way to not create taxes for you, James, (laughs) never make money, right? Never have income in the portfolio, never have capital gains, and therefore you will never pay taxes. And then you're like, wait a tick, I really don't want to pay taxes and I want to make money. So then that trade-off comes in and you're like, how do I weight these things? So yes, that's why I stated in kind of the email sent out to everybody is that in my, my simplicity is this, your financial plan should have clear objectives. Mm-hmm. Then you should employ strategies that clearly support those objectives. And I, I think you connect those dots, you're like 90% of the way. Yeah, you're, you're, you're close to being there. So, so rounding the corner here. So if we bring this back to pizza. So the goal yes. of a pizza <laughs> is to delight your customers with something that is wonderful, that tastes good, and that is sustainable over time. So you have a real business that can last you know, decades and decades, if not generations. Like that's that's the ultimate goal of usually a pizza shop. So like how do we how do we translate that simple that simple objective with portfolio management? So in the article I gave three examples, just things to start about to help you cut through the noise. So the first one I talk about is correlation, which is an investment term that maybe not everyone is familiar with. So correlation, what that generally means is this. If one if you have a portfolio that has two stocks, if one stock goes up by let's just say 10%, how likely is it that the other stock also goes up by 10%. Or other investments. Or other investments, right? Whatever it is. We're just doing stocks, yeah, for just this purpose. Stays still, is not correlated, or goes down, which means it has a negative correlation or opposite correlation. And so look at your portfolio, and if most of the holdings go up and down in the same direction throughout the test of time, chances are you have a lot of the same investment with different names. It might be helpful to cut through some of the extra fat, and maybe we don't need as many, Maybe we can slim down. So that's that's one, uh, this correlation. Did you want to add anything to that one? Or? Yeah, I'm just thinking for our listeners, if that yeah. word is still like, man, what does that mean? Like if you're familiar with a tandem bike, are you familiar with what that means, yeah. a tandem bike? So you and your wife, you get a tandem bike and you leave your house right now. Guess what? She's going wherever you go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So the, the reason they call it tandem bike is things will happen in tandem, right? Yeah. So sometimes we know because we study investments, these two investments historically will walk in tandem. So- Really, 
whether you own 90 of one and 10 of another or 50-50, like you're going to the same destination. Yet, if you and your wife leave the house with two bicycles and one of you turns left and one of you turns right, you can go in totally different directions, right? Mm -hmm. So it's studying an investment historically to say directionally, where does this go and how does it relate to the other? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I'm just trying to create, you know, it, I, I, I might not be perfect, but I was trying to think mentally, what, what does correlation really mean? It means, are you on a tandem bike? Yeah. Are you going in different directions? And, and it really is important when it comes to investments, because if you can own something that is not locked at the hip to another investment, one investment could go down while another one goes up and create a little bit of a smoother ride for you. Yeah, exactly. Which leads into the second point. For most Maybe a better way to say that yeah. is if you're on that tandem bike and you crash, guess who else crashes? <laughs> yeah, Your wife. Exactly. She will not be pleased. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. So the reason you don't want to crash your wife is because you want to have diversification in terms of how things are constructed. Meaning if one thing goes down, the whole ship doesn't go down with it, right? And so you want a variety of different holdings, doing different things, all accomplishing one goal. That gets a little difficult. So- That's the objective is to have a variety of things accomplishing different objectives for the same goal. I've seen a lot of people take diversification to an extreme that I don't know if it's applied for. So one example I've seen sometimes is diversification in custodians, right? They have a Roth IRA at Fidelity, then another one at Vanguard, and then at Schwab, and then at some other custodian I've never heard of. And they start to just piecemeal out all these different holdings where they have diversification in financial advisors who are doing some of the same things, some of the not same things. And so there's an overcomplicating of the objective when that wasn't the true intent of diversification. It's just having individual investments do different things as the market goes on. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, sense. I, okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a cyclist, so I'll bring it back to bicycles. Yeah. If you go to my garage right now, I have, me personally, I have three different bikes Right. And, and those bikes, all different purposes. Yeah. One is BMX bike, which works really good on a very smooth track with lots of jumps. Mm-hmm. It would be horrible on something that's not smooth. It'd be horrible to try to climb hills with. Then I have a mountain bike uh, with lots of suspension. It would be great for going down a hill with rocks and things like that. It'd be horrible on a BMX track. Mm. So golfers, same thing. Uh, when you go out there, There's a lot of clubs in your bag and they have a different purpose, right? Mm. What you're saying is a portfolio for real diversification. They need to operate in different environments and purposes, right? Mm -hmm. Like typically you wouldn't be teeing off with a putter, right? And hopefully you're not putting with a driver Mm -hmm. and you laugh about that and it makes sense. But there's diversification in your golf bag for a reason, right? It's intended for a particular objective. And I'll go back to that. You should have clear objectives. Then you should have strategies that clearly support those objectives. Yeah. So let's get to those objectives. So the one overarching objective is living your wife, you're living your life well and stewarding your wealth wisely, right? That's kind of the banner above all this. And so as we talk with clients and we're looking at the portfolio and say, what's the objective? What are we trying to do? What do you, what do you recommend? Right. Is the common phrase. As the advisor, you put on the advisor hat, and that's when you have to talk to the client. Okay, where are you at in your life? Where do we want to be in the next few years? Like, are you are you in retirement, pulling down portfolio income? Are you younger, growing the balance? Whatever that is, we're trying to understand the next few years and what we're trying to accomplish. And so 
there's, as I thought through this, there's five themes. I'll, I'll give them briefly. I don't know if we have time to go through each one individually. Just We definitely won't. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, give so us just overarching. To go so overarching. So there's generally five themes I've seen with portfolios and how they're put together. First one is performance, right? Wanting to just beat whatever benchmark that is, grow the balance over time. The second one is stability, meaning I'm okay with a little up and a little down. I just don't like a lot of up and a lot of down. The third one is income, right? So for retirees, this is more applicable where you tr you're depending on this for income. Therefore, you want more income, less appreciation. Fourth is protection, meaning I just don't want the balance to go down. Like I want my floor to be solid and just not have to worry about market drops. Fifth one is taxes, right? I just am tired of paying taxes or have a large real estate transaction that's coming up soon. How do I manage that? When you put those five together, you can sometimes do one or two at the same time. But as we talked about earlier, there gets to be a point where more of one is less of another, right? More performance means more volatility, less protection. And so when you're crafting the portfolio, when you're thinking about the investment strategy and the framework, you want to identify what is the core theme you're trying to accomplish? How are the holdings related to that core theme? And how does the diversification enhance what you're trying to accomplish? What I always like to say, because I like little things that rhyme and that are memorable, <laughs> I always used to tell clients, everybody wants stability and growth. You can have one, but you can't have both. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. It's, I'm going to, I might actually use that. <laughs> everybody wants stability and growth. You can have one, but you can't have both. Yeah. And, you know, we like to laugh. So I can't tell you how many times where somebody's told me, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm not a complex person. I, I just want to get like 10 to 12% return and I don't want to see the value move a ton. I'm like, yeah, me too. David Bonson often says, yeah, he wants to eat ice cream with no calories. That sounds great. It's just not the cards. That's, it's not feasible. So I like how you present that tension and those trade-offs to say, you really need to define what you want prioritize those things because understanding a pull on one of those things could be a pull against one of the other ones. So um, we'll wrap it up here and, and just really the heart of the article is that there is a temptation for sophistication, uh, sophistication, sophistication, uh, whatever that word is. Uh, there's a temptation out there and you're trying to give people the warning to say, hey, I know it can be tempting, but slow down. Like Occam's razor, go for the simplest solution. And we didn't even talk about this. And I love this quote, which I'm going to use is you talked about a, a quote in the medical profession mm -hmm. is that I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. But if you hear hoofbeats, assume horse, not zebra. Yeah. Right. And I heard a recent story about this where somebody, a, a student diagnosed something and the teacher's like, no, 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 no. It could be this like crazy thing. And the teacher went into surgery and whatever and realized it was, it was what the student assumed. And the student had actually never even heard of the thing the teacher was talking about. So there was this whole surgical process. And what you're saying is that in that world, there's so many different mm -hmm. diseases and things like that. Start with the most plausible. Um, and if you hear hoofbeats, assume horse, not zebra. It's a, it's a really good memorable one. I liked it. Uh, any last thoughts before we close this out? I think we covered this well. Um, just the last thought that to encourage readers is just to understand what the objectives are. Like go back to what home base is, the North Star. If you're trying to grow wealth, like understand 
the path to growing wealth is not complicated. We don't need to get into complicated things. It's, it's fairly straightforward. And so understanding that more often than not, maybe 80 or 90% of the time, the simple solution, although it looks simple, is likely the best over time. When you start to get into the waters of complexity and sophistication, you may find yourself in a moment of regret a few years from now. So just keep that in mind. It's funny to say it that way because I want to say it this way. Building wealth, really simple. Building wealth, really hard, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we get in our own way, complexity, yeah. uh, the, the lures of desires and all that stuff that can distract us. So um, we appreciate you listening to this podcast. We'll ask that you leave comments, jump on the podcast app, leave comments, put five stars, um, get a hold of James or me, Trevor. You can email us at very easy to remember, Tom, T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. Again, Tom at thebonsagroup.com. Address it to James or Trevor. Have it answer questions, uh, receive your comments, or um, any good jokes. Feel free to send them our way. And pizza recommendations. Orange County. Uh, Send them in. I'll have to say this at the end of the podcast. I think I make the best Neapolitan pizza in Orange County, so you might have to be the judge of that at some point. Absolutely. We'll love that. Fair enough. But we will be back uh, next week with more of our Thoughts thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.